Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. The news that demons had invaded a house in West Pittston, Pennsylvania, first appeared in an Associated Press report on August 18, 1986. The house at the centre of the activity was on Chase Street. In the small mining town just outside of Scranton, is occupied by Jack and Janet Smurl and their four children, Dawn, 17, Heather, 14, and Karen and Shannon, eight-year-old twins. Mr. Smurl, 44, was the production manager for the Topps Chewing Gum Company, and in the other half of this duplex lived Jack's elderly parents. After the story broke, the hordes of newspaper, magazine, radio and television reporters from far and wide descended on West Pittston to give daily accounts of what was happening. According to the Smurls, the strange goings-on in the house began 18 months earlier. In a later news account, they extended this to five years. There were wrappings on the walls, objects disappearing and moving around and a foul stench that often permeated the house. They claimed they were being terrorised by demons. This was one of Ed and Lorraine Warren's most famous cases and we had to investigate the evidence further. Join us on this episode of the True Hauntings podcast to find out whether demons really did exist in the Smurl household, making their lives a living nightmare from hell. Hi, my name is Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rekovich, and welcome to this week's episode of the True Hauntings Podcast. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Welcome back, everyone. Hey, everyone. How you all doing? Getting excited, Renata. Very much so. Not long now. 20 days. 
Oh, you've got the days. We're gonna. Oh yes, we're I'm gonna go down oh, now. Tomorrow we'll we'll hit a new milestone. We'll be out of the twenties and into yes. the teens. Yes. Do you count down like that as well? Uh, I am now yeah. because every day, <laughs> every day is one step closer to sanity. As far as I'm concerned, every day is one step closer to the miracle of going to another country to oh, explore. Oh my goodness! Even though petrol has tripled in price, yeah. <laughs> everything over there has tripled in price. We're still going. We're still going. We'll make it work. We will. We will. Um, I'm taking some cup of soups with me. I've got them packed in my bag. <laughs> you know you can buy those over there. I know, but I want to be prepared. Look, I have been in a motel room with you before when there was no food available. <laughs> I have seen what's happened. And even though I offered you the mint from my pillow, <laughs> you still weren't happy. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> and look, I'm I'm used to fasting, so it wasn't going to worry me at all. But no, Renata does not like to skip meals. It does upset no, her equilibrium. It's, it's it's when I get really hungry, I get really really hungry. I start getting headaches and all horrible stuff. Cranky Renata comes out. That's right. <laughs> And it's terrifying. Right. It and is. I'm making sure I've got something, mm-hmm. even though it might only be soup. It, it might be better than nothing. Mm. It's got noodles in it. Uh-huh. Okay. Chinese chicken and corn. It's good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, and uh, we're still madly pre-recording. So this episode will come out, I think it's on the 15th of April, according to my calendar. And we will be... One of your favourite places, Pendle Hill. Mm, And we're staying at Whaley Abbey. Yes. So we've had uh, a few people ask us to take uh, lots and lots of photos of Pendle Hill or around that area. And it is a pretty area of the world. It is. And we're going in spring, which I've never been in spring before. Mm -hmm. So all going to be rather new for me. Very nice. And we'll be travelling with Gail by then. Yes. Ah, that other travel companion that you keep <laughs> referring to. Yes, yeah. it will be so much fun. All It'll right. be so oh, much fun. Do we wish everyone happy Easter bunnies for this weekend? Is that Easter weekend? I think it is. I don't know. Happy Easter, everyone. Or sad Easter, if you're upset that Jesus died on the cross for all our sins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 I think I've, I've triggered I've triggered her. She's, she's choking on... Um, bile or vomit or something. She she got inwards. Okay, no, I've broken Renata. I said Easter Bunny. I'm not going to eat the Easter Bunny, Renata. It's okay. <laughs> oh, she's snorting. <laughs> it's okay. He rises from the dead on the Easter Sunday. He comes back. It's a miracle. <laughs> It's a miracle. And look, um, I no, I've I've reached my capacity for being a good human being today. <laughs> I have. I well, can't. I'm, I'm still letting my capacity. You shouldn't talk. I, I can't do I've it. I've had dental work done today. I've I, had half a tooth ground uh, out and they're putting a crown on it. They thought oh. it was going to be root canal. I'm trying to eat a kebab while we're doing this and it's killing me. Well, I got called a toxic human being oh, you today. Did. Toxic. Yeah. <laughs> no one would recommend me because I'm toxic. <laughs> oh, there you go. Because I'm toxic. Hey, go, Brittany. Go, Brittany. All right, we're rattling on. Oh, we're rattling on. Anyway. Happy hey Easter, you. everyone. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. I hope the Easter bunny bought you lots of eggs. I hope it shits lots of chocolate. <laughs> and, uh, yes, let's, let's, get, on. let's oh. get on with um, the story. 
Our conversation is going to be a little frightening. Frightening in the sense it happened in a small town of West Pittson, Pennsylvania. What happened in that small town curls my hair when I think about what happened to Jack and Janet Smurl. Just a regular family that worked hard, trying to make a living. It was a nightmarish experience. It happened in 1986. There is a book that was written about the case, The Haunted by Ed and Lorraine Warren and Robert Curran. Ed and Lorraine will talk about this case tonight. I have to say that it's probably one of the most frightening cases I've ever read about. Because of the horrible attacks that happened to Jack and Janet, you just don't want to go to bed at night. I'd like to open the show with Ed Warren, if I could. He can explain how he got called and how he got involved in the case. Ed, can you tell us how it started? I would also like to mention that this was a movie of the week. That movie was done beautifully. The Small family insisted that there be no fabrication in that movie at all. No Hollywood hype. This was one of the most frightening cases we've ever been involved in. I'll never forget the family calling us up. I was driving up to West Pitson. As a religious demonologist, I do carry relics of saints, and I carry a true piece of the cross. About half an hour after I interviewed this family, they told us amazing things. Incidentally, this family is an all-American family. They never delved into anything occult, never used Ouija boards, never seances, never fooling around with the supernatural in any way. Jack Smurl was the first one to organise a girls' basketball team. They're in all the social activities in the community, all-American family. Janet did not work. She stayed home and raised her family. This German Shepherd dog was a real family dog. This is one day in the house. Janet took off all her sheets, all of her linens out of the dryer in the basement, all folded. She went up the stairs and the dog was barking to go out. She went to the back door. She let the dog go out in this enclosed backyard that's all fenced in. She closed the storm door because this is winter and the main door. The dog was out in the yard. She went upstairs to change the linen. She noticed that the atmosphere in the bedrooms and on the second floor thickened, is how she described it. There was a real thickening of the atmosphere, something that she personally felt threatened by. Therefore, she felt she wasn't going to stay up there and be in that type of situation. She started to walk down the hall to come back down the stairs and the dog met her. That meant that that dog, to get back in the house, had dematerialised. That happens more than once. This means that the dog had to pass through the door, the molecular structure of the animal had to break down so it could pass through solid matter. The dog looked wild-eyed and very frightened. She brought the dog downstairs and she hugged the dog and petted the dog because she knew that something was wrong. That is the first time. They would sit at the dinner table and have the TV on. They watched what looked like the dog being kicked because the dog would yelp so loud, go across and hit another wall in that house. The things that took place in this house are just beyond anything you can contemplate. 
Well, Anne, that was outstanding. Where'd you get that from? Well, that was actually from, I think, a transcribed interview of uh, the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine. It doesn't say who the host was. I was trying to find it out. Um, it just, I found it on Scribed. Actually, I think you found it as well. Mm-hmm. Jack and Janet's Smurl Story, Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, by Taffy Sellyham. Uh, but it sounds like it's an interview that's been transcribed. Yep. I don't know who did the interview. Mm-hmm. Sounds very much like a TV show. They did a few of these, actually, about their um, investigations and their cases. It's called promotion, isn't it? Yes, it is. Hmm. Mm. Well, over to you, Renata. <laughs> I'm just wondering if, if this is going to become a two-parter because this is this is big. It's big, and I will be grateful, very, very grateful, to extricate myself from the minds of the Smurls and the Warrens mm. because this has been this has been doing my head in. Yeah, we know? actually had to. We were trying to crack one out last week, um, and. <laughs> <laughs> Those number twos could be difficult, <laughs> but it, it ended up bigger than big, bigger than Ben Hur yet again. Yes. Um. So we gave it a little bit of extra time, and here we are recording today with me with my mouth hurting and trying to eat a kebab at Aww. night time. Oh, baby! But that's okay. That's I need sad. some sympathy. Hmm. I'm going to be a real princess with a <clears> crown. <throat> no, I look. I, I wanted to finish this because, um, like I said, the, this whole case and digging into the uh, information that is around about um, all of the people concerned became very frightening to me because I did find some information that uh, was very unsettling, disturbing, very disturbing. Yeah. Um, and which I'm going to leave you to reveal because I want you to reveal your sources. Yeah, no one seems to talk about this. So, no, mm, it's very, and very it's interesting. a huge concern. It is a very huge concern. But let's let's just leave that till the end, yes. shall we? Because let's, let's I leave it as to... an Easter egg since it's Easter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm going to go into the history of all of this impartially. Uh, in that I'm going to report on the information that is there and out there that anyone can source about this mm-hmm. story. And then let's go digging for um, the, those little um, Gold. golden nuggets mm. after that. Oh, there are so many. Oh, there are. There are. So this family had nothing to do with nothing, really. No one... Just a very average, ordinary American family. Very average, ordinary family. Uh, And really their life changed um, in 1972 when Hurricane Agnes came across from the north into Pennsylvania and destroyed and flooded... Uh, a lot of the houses, and in amongst those houses, were the or was the house of the Smurls and uh, the extended family, so mum and dad of of Jack, and their houses were covered with over twelve feet of water. So they they lost everything. They lost everything, but they actually stayed and tried to do some renovations and clean up, but uh, apparently. Um, the local redevelopment authority took over and they forced them to move. I didn't know they'd gone through that trauma. That's interesting. Mm. So at that point, they had to go and find elsewhere to mm-hmm. live mm-hmm. and houses were pretty expensive. And John and Mary 
took uh, their whole family to a duplex, uh, which is like a, a two houses in in one, mm-hmm. um, and you've got an interior wall that a divides interior yeah, wall yeah. divides the the two houses, and um, the extended family, mum and dad, and they moved into Chase Street in West Pittston, uh, which is a nearby township. It had about 10,000 people at that point in time, and uh, they purchased it for around $18,000 in the autumn of 1973. So Chase Street is a narrow street, and it's just a few blocks away from the town's shopping centre. So very, very central. It is a working man's suburb. There were several other older duplexes also on that street and newer single-family homes. So it was a real mixture of um, working working families. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like this area where I live. They um, have what they call gun barrel houses. They've got very long hallways with all the, the um, rooms off to the side. And these were actually used for people that used to work in this area and they were provided by the, the company that owned this area. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just thought I'd throw that in. Okay. Very American suburb. Uh, They talk about the fact that uh, it was very, very clean, very neat and tidy. The people that lived there looked after their places, their homes, uh, American flags flying everywhere, and um, the Smurls loved this place. Yep. Yep, they moved in. Uh, They didn't know very much about the occupants that had been there before. Um, They knew that there was an elderly man living, you know, on one side of them and that the place had been vacant for a few years. Uh, But uh, some of the other places around them were tenanted out. Some of them were living, uh, had families living there um, for quite a number of years. The smells did the appropriate checks for the house. So they checked the plumbing, the lighting, the foundations for termites, all the stuff that you have to do prior to purchasing. And the family moved in. So those that knew the Smurls in the first 18 months that they had lived there knew them as nothing more than a very happy couple, right? They didn't own flashy cars. They didn't walk around in um, the the best of clothing. They didn't have their Gucci tracksuit pants on. Yeah, their trendy clothing or anything like that. But they were classified as successful, Mm -hmm. as successful as working class families could be. In other words, they looked after their home, they mowed their lawn, they paid their bills, and Janet stayed at home. Yeah, she was. She was a stay-at-home mum. She was a stay-at-home mum. And she worked very closely with the church community. So she volunteered mm-hmm. her time and they were devoutly um, close to the family. They believed in God and uh, they did a lot of civic activities. And uh, the neighbours would tell you that when Jack arrived home from work, he would sweep everyone up in their arm, in his arms, kiss his wife and his kids. And it was oh, all lovely. What a perfect daddy. Yeah. Now, lo and behold, <gasps> what? Out of the blue, what? Did something one, happen? One day, oh, I feel a, a fairy small, story coming on. A small notice appeared in uh, the local paper, the Sunday Independent, on one of the inside pages, and the notice mentioned that there was a family 
in West Pittston, the Smurls, who were having a problem with demons that were haunting their home and they were seeking help. So it's only a little thing. Right. Now, it this came about because the Smurls knew someone in the newspaper. Oh, okay. And so... Um, whether, so when was this published, sorry? Um, geez, 18 months after they'd moved in, mm-hmm. so about a year and a half. Um, it's 1973, 74, 75, So I thought all this happened in the 80s. All no, my notes tell me it happened in the 80s. Let's, let's just hold oh, okay. oh, okay. Sorry, I might have busted something mm-hmm. there. Go, keep going. Um you know that these things can often get a little bit funny when it comes to the dates. So it's really hard to yeah, Just throw a decade yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah. So um, everything seemed fine. Um, then all of a sudden this appears in the paper. Um, the Friends of the Smurls must have suggested, hey, how about we put in a, um, a item in the local news and see where it takes us. Uh, whether the Smurls agreed to it um, willingly or not, don't know, doesn't say. But within a week of it appearing in the newspaper, there was a massive interest in what was going on. Mm. What was happening in this West Pittston, Pennsylvania? Mm. What's the whole story with demons? And everyone and anyone who could started coming to the house. And knocking on the door Mm -hmm. and going, we want to know what's going on. All the newspapers surrounding the township would start to come in, uh, local, even then worldwide. And the issue was they would not go away. No, they wanted a story. They wanted a story. And for whatever reason, the smell started to give them a story. Oh. Why would they do that? And they would come out every day, giving them bits of information. Oh, more things that had happened. More things that had happened. Oh. Now, you know what it's like when you stick your head up above water and you um, attract media or you attract, you know, the attention of others. Someone's going to come and start to hurl abuse at you. Oh, no, And never. make you the object of ridicule. And, of course, this started happening to the smells as well. So they were really divided in what was going on. The thing was that the reporters weren't only talking to Mr and Mrs. They were talking to the kids and they were talking to the parents next door. Mm-hmm. And so they were getting a whole lot of different bits and pieces of information coming through. And it seems to me as I'm reading this that the kids actually enjoyed the attention and they kind of played on it sometimes. And I wonder whether these stories changed um, as the days and weeks progressed. You mean they grew legs? Chinese whispers? Uh, I don't know, possibly. But anyway, the smell said, and this is some of the things that they said, um, they smelled the stench of smoke or rotten meat. They heard pig grunts. They heard hoof beats. Oh, that sounds very familiar. And blood curdling screams mm-hmm. and moans. Mm-hmm. Uh, doors opened and shut on their own. Lights went on and off on their own. Uh, there were ghostly glows that travelled um, in and around them. The TV set had shot across the room. Ooh. Uh, the family dog, the 75 pound German Shepherd, had been slammed up against the wall. Poor puppy. Um, yeah, while Jack stood nearby. Uh, and Mr. Smurl was also quoted as saying, sometimes when I say my rosary, it drags me from my knees and tries to beat me into submission. Ooh. And the it is this demonic entity that's apparently there. 
Uh, and as I mentioned, several of the reporters that were there day in and day out to the point where the neighbours just were totally fed up because, um, you know, this took over this small little narrow street. And I remember one neighbour um, reading that one neighbour said he woke, up one, he woke up one morning to find a reporter from Germany um, on, on his um, front yard waiting to get uh, a piece of information, a bit of story. Wow. Mm. I also read that they were, um, they'd be climbing up onto the veranda that was there and uh, trying to peer through the windows yeah. and putting their ears up to the, the woodwork to hear if they could hear anything. Um, yeah. So Dawn was a 17-year-old and she gave a lot of different accounts of her experiences. So some of the reporters would uh, not be in agreement to this, the stories that she said. So one reporter would say she said one thing and another reporter would say she said another. So although she didn't mention it when she talked to CBS News, she did tell another reporter, whose name was Charles Feldman from CNN, and Jan uh, Gehorsham of the Associated Press in Philadelphia, that she'd been attacked and bruised by a demon while she was in the shower. So she did report that to a number of reporters, but not yep. all of the reporters. But yeah, maybe it was an off day and she told two people and didn't want to tell anyone else. Yeah, I you mean, know? that's a pretty horrific thing to happen yeah, to you. you don't keep on saying it to, you know, a thousand people. So she told uh, another reporter, Jim Collins, of the Scranton Times that the ghost moved her lipstick from one side of the dressing table to another. And her grandmother, uh, her grandmother said that Dawn reported to her that the demon had also taken her earrings and her jeans. Now, what were the girls trying to get out of telling the story to the newspapers? I don't know whether there would have been um, a, a reasoning behind it. I mean, you know, maybe the kids were having um, a bit of a hard time and so they being pressed by these reporters they felt compelled to tell stories mm. um or maybe they were told by the smurls you know keep it real keep it simple don't say anything that didn't happen mm -hmm. um and so they were reporting exactly what was happening i kind of really didn't get to that backstory of what was going on within the family yep. to be able to sort of ascertain what was going on. The thing that they all did say was that they really believed that the house was haunted. The smells, not the... The smells, not, yep. Not everyone yep. else. <laughs> not everyone else. Now, even one of the eight-year-old twins claimed that she had been hurled out of bed by a demon. And the National Enquirer also ran a photo in which Shannon reenacted the ordeal wherein a vicious demon hurled her down a flight of stairs. So now, hang on, wasn't it being flung off somewhere else? And all of a sudden we're going down the stairs? Well, you know, it was a reenactment. And so this, somebody this, was allowed inside the house to take that photo. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was in all of the newspapers. All of the newspapers. Mm. And, oh, my gosh, newspapers don't lie at all, do they? No. Never. No. No, so in the months that followed, um, two significant events occurred that we have to remind ourselves um, when all of this is going on. One of them was that St. Martin's Press announced in November that it planned to publish a book about the experience of the Smurls that was going to be written by um, a gentleman named Mr. Curran. 
And it also had a working title of Haunted, The Shocking Two Tales of One Family's Nightmare, according to a St. Martin's Press spokeswoman. And that was due in hardcover in late 1987 or early 1988. So in amongst all of this happening, and in the process of all of this happening, they've decided, or it's been decided for them, so that's a question, um, to write a book uh, and have it published. Yeah. Wow. I mean, wouldn't you just kind of want to just get away and rid yourself of all of this rather than looking at getting a book? Anyway. Uh, so the Smurls reported... Uh, I'm biting my tongue. <laughs> report, ...reportedly signed an exclusive contract with St. Martin's and Curran um, and a contract... Um, that said that it really forbade them to talk to anyone else about the case. Yep. Now, secondly, uh, an investigator came on board, Paul Kurtz, and he published a case study uh, with the Skeptical Inquirer. And, um, gee, got a copy of that. Right, yes, right I'm in getting into that one. Don't you dare get into that. You've already <laughs> taken most of my notes, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, so... Kurtz from the Skeptical Inquirer and Curran, who was associated with writing the book, disagree on a lot of the circumstances of what was going on. Fancy that. He was he was from the Skeptical Society, you know. Yeah. One, one <laughs> thing they do both agree on was that the, the Smurls were pretty sincere about what was going on. They believed. And, and this really smacks of another case um, that we did in our very first episode, which was about the Amityville Horror. Yeah. Where the family in question were really sincere about what was going on for yeah. them. Yeah. So and they also have something else in common, don't they? Yes, I'm going going. Oh, on please that now. do. Yep. Please so, go there. Um, the Smurls, according to Kurtz, reached out and contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren in January and again in August of 1986 because they were the specialists uh, and everyone had known about the Warrens. Self-proclaimed demonologists. And they were asked to investigate the house. Now, both the, the Warrens, uh, a figure in the Amityville Horror and other de de uh, demon possession cases, uh, and Kurtz was a little bit wary of them stepping in. Now, Ed came through as a religious demonologist, as you said, mm -hmm. in your soundscape, mm -hmm. and Lorraine was the medium. So the, the Warrens uh, were also working with Curran on his book, and according to the author, um, sorry, according to uh, the author and the St. Martin's spokeswoman. So they were all in on this book together. And again, this was happening, as far as I can see, the moment they arrived and the moment they started investigating, like they wasted no time, which really just, I've, I find this really hard when a, a family's in trauma to make them sit down and start working on a book. Yeah. I yeah. mean, who does that? But anyway, the Warrens came in um, and Ed said that there was a demon that inhabited the Smells house and he was very, very powerful um, the demon shook mirrors shook furniture and uh, just generally shook things up yeah, I'd shook say things up. <laughs> they tried to persuade it to leave by playing religious music and praying oh, but as Mr. Smurl said that you know when he got down on his knees and started to play the um, start to, to pray, play, play the rosary pray, is that some sort of new pray, demonic game <laughs> 
pray with his rosary beads um, that this really um, enraged the demon. So after months of investigation... um, Ed alleged that he had a number of audio tapes containing knocking and rapping oh, caused by the demon. I can't wait to hear those. Yeah, we're all waiting. Oh, we're still waiting, are Yeah, we? we're still waiting. Oh, so spokespeople from the Roman Catholic Church and the Diocese of Scranton said that they were unsure what might be causing the disturbances. Um, and so there was a uh, theological professor from St. Bonaventure University. Bonaventure. Bonaventure University. Alphonsus Treibold, um, who offered some explanations. Uh, they brought in several priests and the home was blessed by the priests. And uh, they, when the priests were there, they said they saw no, no harmful activity while on the property. Mm-hmm. Now, Janet Smurl claimed that an unidentified priest performed three unsuccessful exorcisms. But in another account, the unidentified priest gets a name, doesn't he? Uh, I can't remember. Theophilus? I'm sure. Oh, Theophilus. Yeah. I'm sure it was another Theophilus, oh. Father Theophilus. Um, but yes, she says that um, an unidentified priest performed three unsuccessful exorcisms. And if they did, it was not ordained by the church. Yeah, and, and that, I think the, that's in my notes. Yeah, the demon avoided the rites by moving between the double block home. So if, I'll just pop next door yeah, while he, you're doing that <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and apparently Ed said that that's a kind of a normal thing. That sometimes the the demon will will go away if they know that an exorcism is coming and they will hide. It's a good excuse for it not working, isn't it? In 1986, (laughs) a priest from the local diocese spent two nights at the small home and he said that nothing unusual was happening during his stay. Now, in the same year, the pastor of Immaculate Conception Paris in West Pittston, Reverend Joseph Andozi Andon Adonizio, sorry about that, said the Smurls felt that after intense prayers, things came back to normal. And then in 1987, Janet Smurl told reporters that they still heard knocking and saw shadows. And after the Smurl family moved to Wilkes Bar, Deborah Owens, who moved into the former Smurl home in 1988, told reporters she never encountered anything supernatural while living there. Fancy that. Right. Now, I could go into a lot You could, but then I've got nothing to do. With regard to the case study. Um, about the home, um, but that is your thing to do. And the most important <sighs> thing was, and let's kind of just put this all into um, a, a little dot point. Um, the smells moved into this home. Nothing really happened for a really long time or, you know, nothing, you know, was noticed. And then all of a sudden this thing appears in the paper. Place is haunted. There are demons. Um, everyone starts to congregate. They want this story. It's a juicy bit of, of new story. Let's get this happening. I think the smells would have been completely overcome. What do they do? Well, how about we just tell them something? Maybe we'll get rid of them. That doesn't happen. It just incites even more. So Ed and Lorraine Warren come. Ed and Lorraine Arraign Warren obviously find a demon because they always do. Of course. And then while we're there, we don't charge for the investigation, but we are sure as bloody hell are going to write a book about it. Yes, so let's with write our names as authors. Yeah, so let's write a book about it, and we'll get the story while it's happening. Um, they try and do a number of exorcisms, which aren't really any good. Uh, 
nothing really happens. The smells are um, obviously just yeah, in, in a state of stress and anxiety throughout this whole thing. And then all of a sudden it dissipates and they move out. And thank you, everyone, for joining us this week on True Holdings. <laughs> <laughs> what am I meant to do no, now? No, well, that's that's oh, kind of that's what it is in a it is. in a capsule. Oh, I think I can find a few right. more little drops y- of yes. gold to put on the turd. Yes, yes. sorry. Yes. <laughs> so, um... this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you. Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So we don't compare notes. It's a bit like, um, was it uh, Amy Allen and what's that detective? We don't compare notes, so we don't know what each other's covered. And when it comes to possessions and uh, hauntings like this, uh, it's not as clear cut of the history. So Renata normally does the history and I do the the mm-hmm. um, phenomena mm-hmm. and debunk. So um, we've, 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 we'll just, we'll work this out. Okay. So initially when this all started out, apparently um, it was just, you know, jot, one of those things, J-O-T-T. Tools went missing and then would reappear. There'd be old, um, old boards would get stains, uh, and it would seep through the, the fresh coats of paint. Uh, kitchen appliances were catching on fire, even though they're unplugged. And there were awful odours warming the house and they would disperse mm-hmm. very quickly. Uh, Mary and Janet, um, so that's the mother and the mother-in-law, uh, heard voices uh, that sounded like one another. 
Now, they are in a duplex. They're in a duplex and they're in, in a very narrow street. Yes. So Janet thought she heard her mother-in-law calling her name or Mary thought she heard Janet calling... Um, no, she thought that she heard Janet and Jack in the throes of having a massive argument with lots of expletives, which she denied. She said that never happened. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to tell your mother-in-law that you're having a fight with her son, are you? No, no. No. Mm. Uh, ominous black masses formed and floated throughout the home. Janet said she was visited in the dead of the night by a malevolent force that molested her in her sleep. Um, then poor old Jack joined the club. Lying in bed with Janet, he heard someone whispering, a young woman it seemed. When he turned to face his wife, he watched the shadowy figure run up her leg. After that, it got much darker and nastier, apparently in the Smurl house. They had some sort of light fixture that was uh, on the ceiling and it suddenly plummeted to the ground, cutting one of the daughters on impact and scratching up their fridge. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, There was a dog that was thrown. Mm -hmm. Uh, Janet was picked up by an invisible presence, dangling some six feet in the air and then tossed across the room. Now, this is the one. Jack claimed a succubus entered the living room and raped him while a basketball game played on TV. Even neighbours reported hearing him scream from the house while the family was out. Now, this was at this stage that they called in the Warrens. But I want to read out to you from that interview that I read from before, uh, Ed and Lorraine's description of the succubus. Now, the succubus is the female uh, demon that um, rapes men and steals their seed and their energy. So, here we go. Host. I understand that Jack Smurl was attacked in this house. Ed. Oh, yeah. So, can you tell us about this? I think the succubus attack on Jack Smurl was one of the worst experiences that anybody could have. Yeah, said Lorraine. Succubus is a name given to a demon or a devil. It attacks the male physically and sexually. The incubus is the female. That's not the succubus. is The, the incubus is the male. We looked this up the other day. Anyway, people are probably saying, why would a demon want to attack somebody sexually? Do they get pleasure out of it? No, they don't. It's an insult to the birth cycle of Jesus Christ and God. That's why they do it. I got so excited by that, I drooled. (laughs) (laughs) This is what happens when you're eating kebabs while trying to talk. Hang on, suck it back in. Renata didn't even crack up. Um... Jack is sitting down in his living room. It's about 10 o'clock at night, watching different sport news and stuff like that. He was ready to go to bed when he sees this woman coming down the stairs. From a distance, she looked very beautiful. Then he was so mesmerized that as she came closer, the face changed. What he's seen was a skeletal face with rotting teeth in an old hag. That's how he described it. It attacked him jumped on him, and he was covered in slime. (laughs) Where did that come from? It's in the port through teleportation. He was covered in slime? It was all over his body. The slime just stayed there on him? He had to wash it off? He had to wash it off, yes. Where did that slime come from? What was it? What was it? Something sexual? 
It was something sexual. Not only did it bother him and disgust him to such an extent, but also his oldest daughter happened to come down the stairs while her father was under attack. What did she say? She could, she could just say the actions of her father and how he was acting. This was only one of about six attacks. Can you work out who in the room and the host were from yeah. all my different voices? Yeah, just um, barely, but never mind. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> um, okay, so I just want to go back there a little bit. So he was covered in slime while something was trying to have sex with him. Yeah, let's let's not go down this track too deeply because it may it may be really difficult for some people to try and I'm just going to say cope with this whole thing. So just put it nicely in a, a little box and put a ribbon on it, Anne. Do you think he might have been having a wank in front of the TV? Was that deadly enough? I'm trying to ease people into this and you just spit it out. I was trying to be nice, Anne. Oh, no. Well, since when have I been nice? Anyway, <laughs> uh, that stuff is slimy. It takes forever to wash it off. How would you explain that? What if your daughter caught you? She's walking down the stairs and what are you going to say? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I really don't know. I have to say that was my thoughts when I read that. Am I am I evil, wicked? Yeah, you are. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So, just continuing on from our succubus because I know you just want more, Renata. Uh, this is in 1986. Jack told reporters that he had had sexual intercourse with a grotesque female demon at least a dozen times. Now, Ed Warren just said he'd had it six times. In the book, there are only two. Okay. So. Which one is it? Which one is it? Yeah. And then, um, yeah, there is, we go on to the author. right? And look, this is going to happen. When the newspapers get a hold of these things and when these things get reported, they become overinflated and, yeah, numbers and dates and things are all over the place. Um, in a story like this and in any story where uh, details are important this is an important thing so it is a difference between being attacked twice and being attacked 12 times yeah um, it's it kind of doesn't make it any better you know to hmm. you know bring the number up um, but it's important when it comes to people looking at the case and going, are we starting to believe these people or are, are we starting to believe that these people are making all of this up? And the problem is the Warrens are involved and that is always an issue. As soon as the Warrens get involved, you don't know what's going to happen because they, they had the whole Amityville case, which when the movie came out, uh, it got revealed that Jay Anson, who wrote the books, had made most of it up and they um, the Lutz has, uh, admitted they'd made up the story over a bottle of wine based on a couple of little facts so now we've got them doing the same thing here there's another book with their names on it again and there's another movie deal in the the pipeline we've got um the author whose name is curran yep um he makes several very lame attempts at establishing the professional credibility of the warrens there's an author's note in the book Uh, which has the following uh, semi-disclaimer. Certain minor liberties have been taken with a chronology of events and some scenes and dialogue have been recreated in a dramatic fashion. Oh, well, 
Oh, my goodness. It's there in the book. It's there in the book. What page is that on and how small is the print? Yeah. But what happened was that um, the Psychops, so that's the uh, Skeptic Society, wanted to send some people in to have a look. And look, I welcome the skeptics coming in. If they can give a logical explanation to what is going on in this family, mm-hmm. good, mm-hmm. good. Um, so the thing was that... At first, they contacted the family and they said, yeah, 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 that's fine. You come on in. And then they got there and they've gone, no, no, you can't come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I found this uh, thing in the um, some of the other notes where apparently the Warrens have said, no, you can't bring the skeptics in because they're agnostics mm-hmm. and they don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. So therefore, um, you know, they're, they're not going to yeah, believe they're you. Yeah, yeah, they're already biased. Yeah, they've made up their mind but that in actual it's fact, not paranormal. They're biased. These people are biased because we've got, uh, it's a very religious family. Um, the Catholic Church steadfast refused to become involved in the case from the beginning. Um, uh, they could produce no evidence either. Yeah. The, um, Ed and Lorraine kept on saying that they had uh, videotapes and uh, recordings. Yep. Yep. I'll get uh, to all of that in a second. Okay, I won't say You've, it then. You just interrupted my flow. Sorry. <laughs> so, the, as I said, the church was not going to get involved. Uh, they believed they had this belief in a higher power and that the smells, um, they were so overly religious themselves and there are reports that he says he would go to church every day. He would say the rosary every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. He would fall to his knees in prayer. Is that sounding like Annalise? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that the smells fed fear on itself until they started to become terrified of every little bump and sound in the night. So in one interview, Jack the father says, the first thing the average person does is reject the idea that he's dealing with the supernatural. No, I didn't reject it. I just hoped some other explanation would come along. No other explanation was possible, not one. So he is saying... He believed it was supernatural first. The Mm -hmm. average person wouldn't, but he believed it was supernatural first. And until somebody could give him a better alternative, he was going to believe it's supernatural. So everything that happens that family becomes confirmation bias Mm -hmm. that they're confirming. See, I told you it was a demon. Yeah. Hear that bang? I told you it was a demon. Apparently, the author also went to great extents to paint the family as being very, very ordinary, simple, salt-of-the-earth folk, model working-class neighbourhood, kept their American flags out the front. Yeah, yeah. Sounding all very familiar. Um, And they were painted that nauseatingly clean and plain and simple that it made the Brady Bunch look like the Manson family. Mm -hmm. I really liked that quote. That was great. But what a lot of them aren't uh, mentioning is that Jack, the father, had brain surgery. Mm-hmm. Yep. For water on the brain in 1983. Uh, since much of the demonic activity originally reported focused on Jack, does this raise the question that maybe there was something going on with Jack's brain? Uh, and because of 
the parents hyping it up and, uh, you know, believing in each other. I mean, if your husband was telling you things were going on, you would believe them. I would believe my husband wholeheartedly. You'd support them. You'd start to look at the things they were looking at and look through their eyes and go, I see what you're talking about. So is it actually group hysteria stemming from the delusions of the father? They never approached psychiatrists. Now, in the... um, uh, the the case study of the West Pitson Haunted House by Paul Kurtz, uh, they actually offered yep. to pay all expenses mm-hmm. to get him to a psychologist to help him to see if that indeed was yeah. the issue. Now, look, I'm also going to play devil's advocate here. Little plug for the Buttsman's YouTube series. In that... Uh, Skeptics can be pretty bad as well. Yeah. Now these the Smurls obviously totally believe this is what's going on. The the Warrens are coming in and feeding into their delusion because they can see a buck to be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've hired the author to do the standard thing that they normally do, um, and these poor people are just they're being used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was saying. I got all got, I got all hyped up there. Got excited. Uh, so let's have a look. Um, this is by Paul Kurtz, and they said there was strange going on in the house for 18 months, uh, but then, as you said, it became five years, the foul stench, um, then the Warrens turned up. Uh, now, they some of the things that they've reported we are going to go into and uh, debunk or talk about what they're talking about here. So there was a big hoo-ha about the Psychops team coming in. Apparently the Warrens then tried to um, dispute their credentials. And these people were um, they had doctorate degrees and mm-hmm. bachelor degrees and um, mm-hmm. they weren't just nobody. They were physics professors and things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it got that bad that the Smurls called the police and uh, they closed the whole house to independent scientific investigators. So all of the phenomena that has been reported in this house have either come from the Smurls or from the Warrens. Mm-hmm. And there is no evidence anywhere mm-hmm. nothing no, no there's not um, they kept on asking the Warrens for the evidence and the Warrens kept on saying that they had given it to somebody uh, they didn't know who yeah so uh, apparently uh, they they kept trying to contact the smells and say look we would really like to come in and uh, the smell said well you didn't come last year when we asked you to come mm-hmm. and they're going you asked us to come and they went, yes. They had called up, apparently, Psychops and said that um, this is what was happening. And whoever they spoke to said that perhaps the members of the family should visit a psychiatrist and that her family had been watching too many late-night horror movies. They don't have any record of that sort of call, but they do say they do receive a lot of phone calls. Mm-hmm. That, to me, sounds exactly like something a very cynical, sceptical person would say. Mm-hmm. So I I would not um, discount that as being true. Mm-hmm. <sighs> there was also the fact that the Smurls were giving sensational reports to the press almost every day. But now that a team of sceptics have arrived, they abruptly closed the door and uh, just said they're not going to let any unsympathetic members into the house. In other words, you've got to believe us or you're not coming in. Now, the mother that lived next door... Uh, 
she actually came up with a few theories. She said that the strange wrappings and things on her bedroom uh, wall that she heard sometimes as well was adjacent to the bedroom of Jack and Janet. And it was also near the two older um, children as well. So was it teenagers that could have been yeah, knocking on the walls the and throwing yeah. things and yeah. bangs and that sort of thing? Yeah, it could have been, for sure. Uh, right, next, next, next. Um, then we have Dawn, who was saying that she's attacked and bruised by having a shower, and you mentioned those as well, and then about the lipsticks moving and all that sort of stuff. None of that... None of that's really... Like a lipstick rolling from one side of the, the cupboard to the other is not... No, it's not, like, profound. So you go from something very small like a lipstick moving to actually being attacked. Yeah. Um, you've also got a 17-year-old young girl who's probably going out at night and having a good time. Mm. And so, you know, you might have parents who are checking up on her and any bruise or anything might be misconstrued and... You know, she might cover her her path now because all of this is going on and say, oh, it must have been a demon because I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And uh, they also say that, you know, it, it could have been um, the teenagers because that might be poltergeist. Um, and that, that is one of the things that might might cause bangs and things like that as well, if we're going to look at both sides. Um, eh, oh, I've got so many notes here. Uh, we're talking about the videotapes. Oh, when uh, apparently the Warrens said that they had loaned them to a TV company, but he couldn't remember the name of the company yeah, he yeah. had loaned them to. Yep. That would be released in time, but only to a Roman Catholic church. Yeah, there would be no way on God's earth that the um, Warrens would give those tapes to mm, a... They a, don't exist, that's why. But, but they, they wouldn't, just from the point of view of having them and having ownership of them and wanting to uh, make money out of them, they wouldn't have loaned them to anyone. No. Uh, and although it had invited Father Alphonsus Trebold to of St. Bonaventure University to investigate, he had not visited the house. Mm-hmm. Nor had the church seen or heard of the Warren's tapes. Um, and it was actually Father Trebold that suggested the psychokinesis. I find that's, that's interesting that it's come from a priest. Good on you, mate. I like it. Um, Alright, what's next? So they called in uh, a, a psychic, but I think it's the Warrens that are, that really came up with the, the goods. The Warrens concluded that there's three th- spirits present in the house. Patrick, a dead man, who is afraid to face God for fear he will be punished for some unexplained act he has committed. Abigail, a dead old woman, who is somewhat senile and confused and is the one that's been raping Jack. And an unnamed devil with a putrid odour. There was also a good spirit who protects them and sometimes make a room smell like roses. Isn't that lovely? Once again, nothing of that is substantiated whatsoever. Now, did you know that the place where their house was built was actually on some old mines? Mm, Yes. Yes. Yeah. Funny about that. Apparently, this this um, the was skeptical... there an ancient burial ground no, there as I, well? Well, no, I haven't come across that oh. one. Uh, apparently, the um, Wilkes Bar Office of Surface Mining um, were approached, and 
they the investigators the skeptics took it up anyway they wanted to dig in whether they can get into the house or not mm-hmm. so they um went and looked at all the old mine maps and a spokesperson for the office denied that the abandoned and filled in mine shaft across the street or the seven layers of veins underneath the street could be responsible for the reported strange events we know why don't we because then they would be up for money yeah of course they're going to deny it. Uh, a, a reporter who had been in the basement said the small house small house was badly settling. A porch down the street and a garage on the next street had to be rebuilt after caving in. So there is damage around this area from these houses. So yeah. that could actually explain smells as well. It could also be toxic gases that are coming up through the earth into the house and causing hallucinations, Mm -hmm. which nobody mentioned in any of these notes. I'm just saying. Um, Now, there's neighbours who are claiming they didn't hear anything. They they said that the, the children seemed to be very happy and were involved in sports. Um, one of the sceptical neighbours did point out there was lots of squirrels in the tree in the front of the small house. There's your demons, they said. Um, many others had the theory that it was squirrels, raccoons and skunks that happened in the area. Um, Debbie Watson, a neighbour, reported hearing screams in the small house when uh, no one was home and scratching noise at the screen of an upstairs window. Now, how could you hear scratching at a screen in an upstairs window from the next house? I don't know. Mm, I think 50 bucks might have been slipped there. That's just me being silly. I'm not alleging that. Uh, What else have we got? Hmm. Oh, yes. The smell. Apparently, that the foul smells could have actually been due to an inadequate sewer pipe. So again, the sceptics have dug into this and they've gone to Street Commissioner Joseph Rayeski and he has denied that the neighbourhood has uh, any problems with the sewerage. However, there have been complaints put in for two years at town meetings about the foul odour emanating from the sewer. Mm, Yeah. And that can get really bad. Yeah can be, get really, yep. really awful. And also, there is a lumber yard nearby which could account for some of the burning smells. Mm. And if they'd let someone other than the Warrens in to talk through this process with them, maybe these people wouldn't have been so terrified for their lives. Yeah. I get really angry about this. Uh, Neighbours said small children did not seem frightened and they were sometimes left alone in the house by their parents. Yep. Uh, there was talks about the police being called. Well, according, according to police records, the Smurls had never filed a complaint or had called the department for help. So there's another inconsistency. <sighs> so eventually these two sceptics just happened to be lurking nearby the house when the Smurls turned up from a return grocery trip. They just happened to be lurking there and they quickly jumped out and spoke to them and uh, Jack and Janet actually did speak to them for a little bit and they insisted they were telling the truth that the house was infested with demons they were very religious people uh, and then the the sceptics it was um, uh, Carr I think and Ger- Gehrman, uh said 
has a film contract been discussed with the star group? No, no, totally untrue. No, no, we've had over a dozen offices, but uh, offers, but we aren't interested in money. Yeah, they are, but we know who is. Uh, and they said, but you did meet with them. And like, there's this whole thing about how this person came in. It was actually the priest who was in the Exorcist movie came to the house mm-hmm. and met them. So that this had all happened and they knew it happened and these people are lying to their faces. But if they've signed a confidentiality, confidentiality agreement, they wouldn't be allowed to say anything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so he's saying, I did not, I did not. But we all know that it did happen. Uh, so the Smurls issued a statement to the press four days before Halloween claiming that the demons had left their house. Voila! Because it was the only way they were going to get them off their back. Yeah. Just say they've all gone. And then what happened two weeks later? Yeah, they signed a contract. Yeah. So, you know, they're all saying they're not interested in the money. It's it's not about the money. But there are so many inconsistencies. The the Warrens are involved who are making TV appearances and hyping up the claims of what have happened. And... Then you found out a little bit of something extra about the Warrens, didn't you? Yes. So tell me, what did you find, Renata? Well, I'm digging for information um, about this family and um, the smell case. And so I start to come upon some reports uh, about Ed Warren. And this kind of really hits me because I haven't heard of this as part of the history of of the Warrens at all. Mm -hmm. But this is going back to around 2017 and all of a sudden all of these bits of information start to come out and, um, you know, it's it's kind of reported as a scandal. Oh, a scandal with uh, the Warrens? Look, and... You know, it, it, it can appear in one newspaper and you go, okay, well, it's one newspaper and you know what some newspapers yeah, are they, like. Yeah, they like and to so print a good headline. You, you go and you try and find out some more information. And um, the thing that I have to say about this is I can't find police reports. Yeah. I can't find anything that substantiates this except for the fact that the person involved was alive and made... Um, And did interviews. So we're also listening to her voice with regard to some of this. And when she was interviewed about this, she was quite elderly. She was in in her 70s. -hmm. And the other thing was that she stayed a companion to the Warren families right up until Ed's death. Right. Right. So we've got some really interesting stuff going on here. But uh, I'm just going to read what um, is here. And this comes from The Hollywood Reporter, and it's revealed on Wednesday that legal filings and recordings they obtained show top studio executives of the movie franchise. And this is what started it all. There was um, a lawsuit that came out with regard to the Conjuring movie, I think it was. Um, And it started to dig into something that was going on in the background and would threaten the movie coming out. Oh. Right, so um, it made... It made the movie franchises made aware of allegations that Ed Warren initiated a relationship with an underage girl with his wife Lorraine's knowledge. What? 
Right, so The Conjuring movies tell the story of a married couple. Oh, right, that's right, because it's a Conjuring movie of the married couple. They are so in love. They're Everything's so, so nice. They're just Everything's so wonderful. And then all other. of a sudden there's this piece of information that comes out that says, oh, hold on a minute, this might not be right. There <laughs> might have been something else going on in the background. Yeah, I'm right? a nice à toi. So, uh, yes, Judith Penny now in her 70s, reportedly said in a sworn declaration she lived in the Warrens' house as Ed's lover for four decades. She said the relationship started when she was just 15. The magazine noted it's unclear whether Warner Brothers took any action in response to the allegations. Um, and the 2016 uh, movie The Conjuring 2 depicts the Warrens as a happy couple in a conventional relationship. So... As you go through further, um, you kind of look at the fact that uh, Ed may have had this relationship with this young girl that they took in to help as an assistant. Number one, she was underage. Number two, apparently this was under Lorraine's nose with Lorraine's full acceptance. And there are other stories that say they all lived in the house together and some nights... Ed would go upstairs to Lorraine, and some nights Ed would go could, would go downstairs oh. to this girl. Oh, sloppy seconds! Right. So Miss Penny lived and and watched their house while Ed and Lorraine worked on cases and gave lectures. Look, I mean, each to their own. I whatever way you choose to live is up to you, but not when you're under age. And not when you're running around the place saying that you are the the pinnacle and God's representatives and and all of that. And now this movie franchise, if this is true, that's a huge risk for how's the actors gonna feel if they know that they're portraying these people who had this secret life with an underaged girl. Mm. So would you like me to read a little bit more? So Lorraine, now 90, is suffering from declining health, her lawyer said. Well, Penny, she's now died. Penny is reportedly not involved with the litigation over the films. The Hollywood Reporter said Ed Warren was in his mid-30s when he allegedly first met teenage Penny. At That's the surname. At the time, he was working as a city bus drive in Monroe, Connecticut, to make ends meet. In a legal declaration she provided in November 2014, Penny claimed she and Ed began an amorous relationship and by 1963 she moved into the Warrens' home where she allegedly had a sexual relationship with Ed. In 1963, Penny was arrested after a concerned citizen reported her relationship with Ed to local police, according to The Hollywood Reporter. She eventually was ordered by the court to attend a delinquent youth office for a month. Penny insisted Ed would pick her up from school every week and then drive her to the mandated meetings. To cover their tracks, the Warrens allegedly claimed she was either a niece or a poor girl they had taken in out of charity. Mm-hmm. Penny alleged this is oh my god oh, <sighs> Penny alleged that in 1978 she became pregnant with Ed's child no. but was persuaded by Lorraine to have an abortion to avoid public scandal oh, no. which could result in the end of their successful ghost hunting business yep and Pen- there it is Penny also said Ed was abusive to Lorraine. Yeah, that does. Mm. Sometimes Ed would actually have to slap her across the face to shut her up, claimed <gasps> Penny. In, according, in a recording, some nights I thought they were going to kill each other. 
Penny said her relationship with Ed ended in 2003 and she eventually married. Still, she allegedly remained friendly with Ed up until his death. Now, this is all allegedly. Yeah, as, I, as I'm older now, well, this, is, this, comes, from, this comes from her. And so can I just say, this. if she's in her 70s, there could be dementia involved. There could, there could. Just to, you know, and, and balance I, it. He's not here to speak for himself. Yep, and, and I am saying that I dug, I found other reports. So, it wasn't so I'm just not this one. just going off this one. Yeah. I did find other reports that mentioned this. It was a very short kind of time frame where all of this came up and then it died down yeah. and then nothing more was said. Now, yes, Penny was in her 70s. So whether they started to interview her or whatever and she said, I'm just over it. I don't want to speak about it anymore. It screwed up my life. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yep. And that was the end of it. But when it came to finding evidence, that was one place that I couldn't go. I couldn't yeah. go and start digging yep. for that because so it was all, all about say. police reports and all of that sort of stuff, which is not available to you can't normal citizens. It. Yeah, I just did find this like a, an open sore, an open wound it that is. came up. It is. Wow. And what does this do if there is any any truth in this? Yeah. The, the movie franchise is screwed. Anyway... We, what do we do now? We've got to finish up this show. We've gone over time and I've realised I've got the dates wrong for the show, you know. I forgot that we had another one last week and we're actually on the um, 22nd of April. Um, yeah, we're all over the place. We don't know what we're doing anymore. So I hope you all had a happy Easter. <laughs> but wait, you really are thoughts. Let's just say that. Um, is this a true haunting or not, Renata? Uh, I'd have to say no. Um, I'd have I I think there is a lot more that went on here for this poor family. Um, I feel sorry for them. Um, I feel that they would have been covering up a lot of stuff and found themselves in a really really difficult situation once so many people became involved. And what do you do? What do you do when you open up a Pandora's box? You can't stuff all of this back in. Yeah. You know, especially when people have got you signing contracts and things yeah. and saying, well, you can't talk about this, you can't do this, you can't do that. They've got you by the short and curlies. Yeah. Yep. And I get it. I totally get it. We've had to sign non-disclosure agreements and, and secrecy things and stuff before, and it's really hard. Yeah. But, I mean, it, to me, I think they believed it was true. I really do think they believed what was happening was um, something pretty horrible and that the warrants have helped convince them. Yeah. So, yeah, I do. I also feel very sympathetic towards this family. Um and I can't say it's a true haunting. No, no. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of True Hauntings. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we are still traveling around the UK, Scotland and Ireland, and we will be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, make sure you're on YouTube following our shenanigans. And I'm sure there's been many by now. And guys, we'll see you next week. On the dark side. And remember to stay spooky. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and YouTube or visit their website www.annandrenata.com 
True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.